every Sunday, but still. <laughs> Wednesday night was an interesting service. A very interesting service. Um, you know, I was, I was, I was feeling, the, feeling the spirit. Ended up breaking a guitar string. So that's, that's always fun. Um, but in my spirit, I could feel the Lord telling me, make war. This is your war cry. Make these songs. These are your war songs. This is war that we're waging in the spirit tonight. And this was Wednesday. And then after service Wednesday night, I, I had gone through some restaurant to get food. And I was at the home at house eating. And Pastor Rick calls me. And Pastor Rick says, Brother Cam, I want you to know this. That whenever as the, as we were, as service was going on. As he said that as, I, as he was making his way, he was about at this pew here. Apparently I had like said something. And this isn't to boast in, in myself, not at all. But as, as the service was going on, Pastor Rick in his spirit heard the Lord say war cry. And it kind of confirms, confirmed for me um, the message for this morning. Because I've been thinking about meditating on this word for, for a week or so now since he asked me to preach this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you, open up to 2 Samuel chapter 23. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, so it'll be, it'll be different because I researched this in King James and another translation. Um, but if you, have, if you have your Bibles, like I said, open up to 2 Samuel chapter 23. When you have 2 Samuel 23, let's go to verse number 8. 2 Samuel 23, verse number 8. This little page is turning, so I'll let you all get to it. (laughs) The Lord says, These are the names of the mighty men whom David had. Josheb, Bashabeth, Atak Mennonite. Now, in in a King James Version, it'll say something along the lines of, He who sits in the seat, um, instead of Josheb, Bashabeth, which Josheb, Bashabeth is the translation, or... uh, of that, And he says, he was the chief of the three. He wielded his spear against 800 whom he killed at one time. And next to him, among the three mighty men, was Eleazar, the son of Dodo, son of Ahohai. He was with David when they defied the Philistines who were gathered there for battle. And the men of Israel withdrew. He arose and struck down the Philistines until his hand was weary. And his hand clung to the sword. And the Lord brought about a great victory that day. And the men returned after him only to strip the slain. Verse number 11 says, And next to him was Shammah, the son of Ahi, the Hararite. The Philistines gathered together at Lehi, where there was a plot of ground full of lentils. And the men fled from the Philistines. But he took his stand in the midst of the plot and defended it, and struck down the Philistines, and the Lord worked a great victory. Amen. Lord God, I ask now that you would pour your spirit down upon us in this place this morning. Lord, would you give me the words to say, because I'm just a man, and I'm just your servant. But when your word goes forth, it accomplishes everything that you send it out to do. Lord God, let our hearts be receptive to what you want to do in this place this morning and give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to receive the word that you have in store for us today. In Jesus' holy name, amen. 
Yeah, I think it goes without saying that um, as Christians, as Christ followers, we're engaged in a spiritual war. Right? We're engaged in warfare. Whether or not we realize it all the time, we are engaged in, in, in a fight. We're engaged in spiritual battle. You know, we're familiar with verses like Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, where it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. It tells me there that my problem isn't with my neighbor or my mom or dad, my family. It's not even against the people that don't like me at my job. It's not against the people who are in power in Washington, D.C. That's not our enemy. We wrestle not against flesh and blood. So therefore, we know then that this fight that we're in isn't completely physical. It's, it's very spiritual of a thing. And, you know, and, our, and again, our adversary is not a man or a woman, but our adversary is the devil who, like a roaring lion, goes about seeking whom he may devour. And why am I telling this? Why am I telling you all this? Because for us to engage in efficient spiritual warfare, we need to know what the enemy looks like and we need to know his tactics. Because we can't be trying to wage this war against an unknown enemy because we know who he is. We know who our enemy is. And so by 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 dis, by pulling back his disguise. We know that he comes about as an angel of light. We know that he comes out like a roaring lion. Whenever we explore who scripture says he is, we can be more on guard against his attacks and against him. Furthermore, we fight against the passions of the flesh. Why do we fight against the passions of the flesh? Because the passions of, of the flesh wage war against our souls. As we see Paul tell the uh, church in Galatia, First Peter, sorry, Peter says that. But then we have to ask the questions, if, we're, if the passions of the flesh wage war against us, what are the passions of the flesh? We see this in Galatians chapter 5, right before Paul tells us the fruit of the Spirit. We see things like immorality and impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, and things, and so on. But when we take a look at our main text here, we see three Men, three of David's mighty men who had distinguished themselves in the battle against their enemies at the time. They've distinguished themselves against the Philistines by doing these great exploits. I'm reminded of um, several people in, in American history who've, who've obtained the Medal of Honor by doing things similar to what we see here in Scripture. But I believe that these mighty men of David offer us an insight, so to speak, Concerning the spiritual battle currently taking place. And I think that the, the way that these men did things can help us understand how to wage this holy war, as it were. So in 2 Samuel 23, verse 8, um, we see the man Josheb Bashabeth. His name um, has two meanings, dual meanings. So first meaning, first meaning is dwelling in rest. Dwelling in rest. Or it could also mean he who sits in the seat, perhaps indicating like he's, he's in a place of authority. Because on the context of scripture, we see that he was the chief of the three, who was then the chief of the 30, and so on. But I think that whenever we take his name and we say Joshua Bashabeth means dwelling in rest, I think we can understand 
that part of our spiritual warfare isn't exactly overt and in your face, so to speak, but we wage war from a place of rest. What do I mean? We, yeah, what I mean is this, our, re- our, our rest isn't totally passive. So when I'm resting in the Lord, when I'm waiting on the Lord, I'm doing things, I'm worshiping, I'm praying, I'm cultivating my intimacy with the Father. We cultivate our intimacy in seasons of rest. You know, I, I, I think of it like this. You train in times of peace so you don't have to overcome your shortcomings when you're having to fight. So in our seasons of rest, what are we doing? We're cultivating our intimacy with the Father. What is intimacy? But knowing the heart of God. We must have the heart of the Father as Jesus did. If we want to look at biblical intimacy, look no further than the man Jesus. We receive our marching orders from the Lord like Jesus did. What did Jesus say? He says, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. How oftentimes do our spiritual tactics fail because we're not looking to the father to give us instruction? How often do our things fail because we're not seeking the Lord? We're not resting in the Lord. We're not seeking after him to give us the things he wants to give us. But we think I can do it myself. I'm I'm convinced that that's oftentimes why our tactics of spiritual warfare fall flat. Because we don't know the heart of the Father. And Jesus goes on and says, for whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. He's saying this, I can't do it unless God gives me the go-ahead. We see even King David, oftentimes he would say, Lord, do you want us to go up? Lord, do you want us to go fight these people? Lord, do you want us to do that? And God said, go, I've given them into your hand. Or maybe not, you probably want to wait just a minute. Or hey, instead of going head on like you did last time, circle around the back so where you're standing in front of the bulrushes. And when you hear the sound of the marching in the trees, then go, because that's your breakthrough. Intimacy, we also make war in love. <laughs> as, 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 as odd as that sounds, we war in love. Again, knowing that we don't fight people. Perhaps a reason why our spiritual t- warfare tactics fall flat is because we're attacking people instead of trying to confront the spirit in which they're operating. We war in love for God and we war in love for people. We fight a spiritual fight against those things that are contrary and counter to the things of God. If it's not of God, that's what we need to be identifying. And that's what we need to be going to the Lord in and saying, how do you want me to deal with this? Love for people. Again, we know that our fight is not against flesh and blood. And it breaks my heart sometimes whenever I hear people with stories of church hurt, you know. And I understand because I've been there. <laughs> I understand church hurt. But again, my wrestling is not against a person. It's not against flesh and blood. It's against these things. These things that aren't of God. These spirits and principalities and powers that aren't from the Lord. And so, and the thing is, we have to be able to differentiate between what somebody does And the spirit behind it. Because again, we don't wrestle people. 
If we, if we open our eyes, if we ask the Lord for discernment, I believe that we can properly identify the spirit that's at work in other people trying to keep us from achieving the victory that God has for us. Because if I can't identify the wiles of the devil, I might be in danger of him having his wiles on me. We need to understand that when we wage a war in love, that it goes beyond a person. I mean, look at how Jesus handled the demoniacs in Scripture. He, did, he, did he try to wage a war against the people? Or did he say, get out of them and go to those pigs? <laughs> you know? Secondly, along with intimacy, we cultivate war and rest when we, when we pray. When we pray. How can we do the things God is telling us to do if we don't converse with him? How can I get my marching orders if my ears are shut off to the Lord? How can I tell the Lord I'm willing to go into battle if he doesn't know that I'm willing to go? How can he know me if I don't know him? How can I do the things that God has called me to do? How can I do the things that God wants me to do if we never even talk about it? You know, and it's almost cliche at this point where where the pastor asks, you know, the, the, the people in relationships, like, how would your relationship, you know, be if you didn't talk to each other? You know, husband and wife, boyfriend, girlfriend kind of thing. I mean, it's the same thing with the Lord, but how much more is it with the Lord? If we don't know what he's saying, we can't do the things he's saying. We war in prayer when we turn the eyes of our spirit to the Lord. We, we, what prayer does, among many things, is so much more than a grocery list of demands for the, for, for the Lord. Um, but prayer is whenever I can take everything and push it aside and turn my eyes completely and solely on Jesus. I can look to the author and finisher of my faith. I can fall on my knees knowing that he's faithful and just. You know, by prayer... We draw near to God, and in turn, He draws near to us. James 4 and 8 would say, the thing is, prayer is not entirely one-sided. A lot of things in our, in our faith are they're not a lot. The, there's more than just one side to the story when it comes to following Jesus. Draw near to me, and I'll draw near to, near to you. Seek me, and you'll find me. So it's not saying that I have to do all the work, and I don't need to expect God to do all the work. But remember the prodigal son. <laughs> when the prodigal was running down the street, the father didn't stand there smoke on the front porch. He ran to meet him. So in prayer, we come close to God and he comes close to us. And in prayer, we ask God like David did, search us and know us, search me and know me. And if there's anything in me that's not of you, that would hinder the mission, then let's get rid of it. Let's burn it in the fires of the Holy Spirit. If there's any vine that doesn't produce fruit in my life, cut it off. Whether that's a relationship, whether that's a job opportunity, whatever it may be, if it's not of you, then I don't want it. How many times do we get so complacent in our spiritual lives that we're trying to wage war while looking like the enemy? We draw near to the throne of grace when we pray. And when we do that, we receive mercy and find grace. 
We find these things that are needed so that we can cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. What is the armor of light? The, 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 the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, the belt of truth, the sword of the spirit and the shoes of peace. The armor of light is the armor of God. I boldly approach the throne of grace and say, Lord, I need you to clothe me in the armor today, every morning, every day, because I am in a war and I can't do it apart from you. I don't go to Saul. I don't go to some person, but I go to the Lord because Saul's armor won't fit me. Saul's sword won't work in my hand. Saul's methods and Saul's way of doing things won't cut it for the mission God has for me. And that's why David didn't go out in Saul's armor. That's why he didn't use Saul's sword. Because he said the way that the Lord is going to do the work is a way that he alone will get the glory. We ask God in prayer to expose in the light of his grace and mercy those things that would keep us from holiness and completeness in him. And I'll say it one more time. What good is it to go to war if I'm wearing the same uniform as the enemy? What good is it to go to war if I'm wearing the same uniform as my enemy? And thirdly, worship. We rest, we warfare in our rest when we worship the Lord. In seasons of rest, we war in worship. Worship goes beyond the relegation of just singing songs of praise. And that's part of it. It really is. But it's so much more. Worship is the way in which I live my life. Like Paul says, let my life be a living sacrifice to you. You know, in Romans, he says this. Worship is the high praises of God in our, in our throats. So the things we sing and it's the two edged swords in our hands. Psalms 149 verse 6 says. Worship is our response to who God is. Because when I worship. I can have a Goliath in front of me. But when I say Jesus, Jesus, no other name than I know. That giant gets so small in the light of my God. How big he is. You know, I've also heard it said that probably the greatest battlefield is that of the mind. That of the mind. So whenever I mess up in my mission and the enemy comes at me with shame, I can say, oh, no shame, no bondage. Jesus breaks all of those shames and I begin to worship the Lord and I begin to magnify him above every other device that the enemy would try to attack me with. Because when the enemy comes on the attack, I can say, no, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I can say things like, Jesus, Jesus, no other name that I know. I can say there's power in the name of Jesus that breaks every chain, that breaks every every chain that breaks every chain and I can go to scripture and find things that I can use to worship the Lord I can go to the book of Exodus chapter 15 and I can sing the song of Moses that says who is like you O Lord among the gods little G there who is like you majestic in holiness awesome in glorious deeds doing wonder who is like the Lord there's nobody like my God whenever the enemy tries to come at me and tries to make himself big I exalt the Lord with my worship and my praise and I echo the song the, the words of Psalm 145 
25 that says, I will extol you, my God and King, and bless your name forever. Every day I will bless your name and praise your name forever and ever. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. The enemy may think he's big. Oh, but how much bigger is my God? The enemy may think that he's coming in like a flood. Oh, but how big is the standard of my God? The enemy may think he's got a foothold. Oh, but how strong and glorious and mighty and majestic is my God. Isaiah 12 verse 2 says this. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and I will not be afraid. Whenever I'm stepping foot on the battlefield, God is my salvation. I will trust Him. I will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song. And He has become my salvation. So when I step on the battlefield, I am not alone. And you may feel like you're in a season where you're all by your lonesome fighting this battle. You may think that you're not being able to make any progress. You may feel like you're in the trenches of World War I. And you can't get over into no man's land and get to the other side. But no, God is with you. He is your strength. He is your song. He is your salvation this morning. And he says in the scripture, he will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him because he trusts in him. So I can wake up and put on the armor of my God, set my feet on the floor, go into that battlefield knowing that Jesus is on my side. The second character we have here is Eleazar. We find his, his, de- his deeds in 2 Samuel 23, 9 and 10. We read this this morning. So basically what happens here with Eleazar is that they see the enemy and everybody else retreats. But Eleazar rose and fought the enemy until his hand was weary. But the sword was still in his hand. I, I, I hear, I remember a story my friend told me that he had some military friends who used to carry the big M60 machine guns. And they would say that those machine guns were so heavy that the soldiers' arms would be locked in position as they, like, as the longer that they would carry these heavy machine guns. But they would still carry the machine gun no matter how heavy it was. And it just reminded me of that in this story. Here's the thing everyone may leave you. Everybody may desert you. You may feel like no, like you you understand that God is with you. You understand that He fights the battles for you. But it's encouraging, and let's not pretend it's not. Whenever you have people alongside you saying we're going to get through this, but what do you do when even those people have left you? What do you do when even your friends who you trust, those spiritual brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, desert you? It seems like. I would encourage you, hold fast to the word of the Lord. (laughs) Cling to the sword of the Spirit. Why? Because the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And it pierces to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart, Hebrews 4.12 would say. I don't have people with me, but what I do have... (laughs) 
I can dismantle walls. I can break chains. I can tear through strongholds because I have the Word of God with me and inside me. And whenever I open my mouth, whenever I speak things, I can say, thus says the Lord. Enemy, you may think that you've got it. Oh, but I have the Word of the Lord. And every device you have crumbles at the Word of God. I would encourage you, if you feel like you're all alone, don't abandon the Word of God, even if people abandon you. Even if the enemy would draw up lines against you, and you feel all alone, don't give up on the Word of God. There's a command and a promise that we can find from Yahweh in Deuteronomy 31.6. It says, be strong and courageous. Do not fear or be in dread of them. That is your enemy. Don't be afraid of the devil. Don't give in to the devil. Don't give the devil any inch of ground. Do not be afraid. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. Person A's left me and person B's gone away and person C who I confided in no longer is in my life. But the Lord is with me. Who can stand against me when God is on my side? And the promise is this. He will not leave you nor forsake you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. We sing a song, and there's a part of the song that goes like this. Even when I don't see it, you're moving. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. Even though I might not understand what you're doing, at some point I will get. Because God says He will never leave us nor forsake us. And I'm going to believe that that includes when I'm standing on the battlefield and everyone else has left me. I can stand flat-footed and confident in the Lord knowing that these people have gone and these people have gone. Oh, how many did Gideon have when he started out? He ended up with 300 and God got the glory for the victory. Speaking of Gideon, there may even come a time where you feel like Gideon as he and his men are crossing the Jordan or about to cross the Jordan. Exhausted yet pursuing. You may feel like you've been chasing and chasing and chasing the things that God has for you. You may be exhausted, but don't give up the pursuit. You may feel like you're grinding your wheels, but don't give up the pursuit. You may be tired, but don't give up. You may be exhausted and you may still yet be pursuing. But here's the kicker. Their victory was just on the other side of the Jordan. Your victory is coming soon. Your breakthrough is coming soon. It's on its way. Exhausted yet pursuing. Yeah, I may be exhausted yet pursuing. But whenever I feel like I can't do one more rep, that's when my muscle grows. Whenever I feel like I can't take one more step, it's then that he sends his angels charge over me so I don't stumble and step against the stone. It's whenever I feel like I'm exhausted yet pursuing that God says, this man is faithful. 
My victory is just on the other side of the Jordan. These five kings that I have to kill to get the blessing are just on the other side of this river. And there's no water and there's no mountain, there's no ditch and there's no hill that can keep me from achieving the victory that God has ordained for me to take. I remember I remember I preached a sermon here years ago and it was it was give me this mountain where Caleb says to Joshua, you remember Joshua, when Moses said everywhere your footsteps, that's yours. And he says that mountain with the giants on it, that's the one that I want because Caleb wasn't scared of the giants. Caleb wasn't scared of the mountain. It was a double whammy. There were giants on giants on giants. There was problems on problems on problems. But Caleb said that is mine because God said so. So the victory I can claim, the victory I can declare. Why? Because the battle belongs to the Lord. Give me this mountain. Give me this mountain. The mountain with the giants on it belongs to me. The, 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 the victory that God has promised belongs to me. Why? Because the battle belongs to the Lord. You may be alone. You may be tired, but don't give up. Here are the words of Jesus in Matthew 24. It says, the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures to the end will be saved. Hebrews 10, 23 also says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. Let's hold on to it. The promises of victory that we find in the word of God. Steadfast, unwavering. Why do I want to hold on to these things? Why is this so important to me? Because he who promised is faithful. He who promised is faithful. Even when I lose faith, he's faithful because he can't deny himself. So I'm going to hold on to the promises that I find in the word of God. I'm going to hold on to the spiritual tactics for victory that I find here with the sword in my hand. Because he who promised, he who spoke it, he who said it is faithful. Jehoshaphat said a prayer in 2 Chronicles. He, he and his men were severely outnumbered. He looks to the Lord at one point in his prayer and he says, God, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. I may not have an idea of what the next step in, in the plan for victory might be, but my eyes are on you, Jesus. I may not understand why the things are happening the way they're happening because I thought that I'd have the victory by now, but my eyes are on you. I may be tired. I may be out of Jordan. <laughs> I may be out of this obstacle that's in my way, but my eyes are on you. I may be at the foot of the mountain with the giants crawling on it, mocking me and making fun, but my eyes are on you, Jesus. I may be at the cusp. I may be at the edge when it all seems so hopeless, and I may be at the very end of my rope, at my wit's end, but my eyes are on you, God. I don't need to have the answers. I don't need to have a plan. Because I have a sword and I have a God who is greater than anything that could stand in my way. 
So I may not know what to do, but my eyes are on you, God. Our third individual that we want to take a look at this morning is Shama. I like his name. I don't know why. It's just one to say. Second uh, Samuel 23, verse 11. Now, Shama of the three, I was, you know, I think, I think I, he's probably my favorite of the three. Um, and it is a similar story with Eleazar. His friends, his fellow soldiers, deserted him. But he held his ground. He stood his ground in a field of lentils. He was in a crop field. Um, I guess lentils, you can make soup with lentils. Maybe bread? I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, but he defended the ground. He defended the, the plot, the lentils, against the enemy. And he defeated his enemy there. I was... I was Meditating as I was writing this sermon yesterday, and I said, Well, what is the lentil field? What is the plot of lentils? And he's like, Well, it's many things, but I think today for us, our plot of lentils is the word of the Lord. I think that our, our plot of lentils is the word of God. And I'll tell you why, because it doesn't it seem like the written word of God is under attack right now? Doesn't it seem like institutions set up by God are under attack right now? Doesn't it seem like there are things happening in our, in our nation and in our world uh, that would allow the enemy to have opportunity to cause us to doubt? So the enemy will assault the word of the Lord in an attempt to cause you to doubt. How, is, how do I know that this is possible? Because when we go back to the beginning, in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, Satan goes to Eve and he says, did God really say? And then she says, well, I mean, God said not to do this because we'll die. And, and, and then Satan was like, you're not going to die. You're not, that's not going to happen. And then if we go further to around 2,000-ish years ago, we look at Jesus the enemy, Satan, tempts Jesus in the wilderness and he starts attacking Jesus and he says, are you really the son of God? Are you really who you say that you are? So for Eve, I would say that the plan to insert doubt for Eve was successful. But the plan to insert doubt for Jesus was not. Now here's the, the good part. Being Christians, Christ followers... Being born again by the Spirit into the family of God, being co-heirs with Jesus, we have the equipment needed to resist the devil so he will flee from us. We have the ability, we have the power, for the same power that rose Jesus from the grave lives inside of us. And I would contend that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave empowered him to resist the enemy and not give in to the temptation. We have access to that same power, that same Holy Spirit. And again, we see today, if you're to turn on the news, you can find the enemy attacking and assaulting the sanctity of life the institution of biblical marriage, and we can even see the enemy attacking the authority of the Bible itself. 
And I went back and I couldn't find it. Maybe it was taken down on Facebook. There's a church somewhere in the United States that questions everything that anyone in this house has ever been taught about the Bible. Specifically that it's not the word of God. If that's not a satanic attack on the word of the Lord, I don't know what is. So I would say this to us this morning. We war in rest, yes, with, with cultivating intimacy, prayer, and worship. We, we war in steadfastness, holding on to the word of the Lord. But our spiritual warfare strategy also includes the defense of the word of God. I think that God has given us an assignment to defend, thus says the Lord. Whenever it comes to Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21, I think. Because this Bible is under attack. I was sent a screenshot of, of a, pol- a political leader in our nation saying that God has no place in the House of Representatives. I've been sent these things and I've seen on the internet things from churches in our state even saying that this isn't the word of God. It's just an idea or things of that nature. But I'm here to say that all scripture from the book of Genesis to the book of Revelation is breathed out by God. This is the word of the living almighty God who sits alone on the throne of heaven. There is no other way by which we can know who he is than through this word and testing our experiences against this word. Because here's the thing. Here's here's something to think about. If I get a dream in the middle of the night or if I get a vision, do I run with that vision or do I test it against this word to see if it's actually from the Lord or not? We have, we have people who would try to say that their dreams and that their experiences are hold more weight than the word of the Lord does. But no, I need to be able to discern and test the spirit. So if the things that I'm experiencing line up with this, we're good. But if they don't, then it's not of God. And I need to cast down that vain imagination. All scriptures breathed out by God is God breathed is inspired by the Lord and it's profitable for teaching and reproof for correction and for training in righteousness. In my opinion, this is the ultimate authority by which I should live my life. This Bible here is the word of the living God and it's true and it's infallible and there's no errancy in it. And I'm not going to apologize for holding that mindset. We see the full weight of the authority of the word of God in Psalm 119 verse 160 where it says the sum of all your word is truth and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Everything, every, like Genesis 1 plus Genesis 1 plus 2, Genesis 1, the summation of everything I find in the word of God is truth. Let God be true and every man a liar. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God Himself, in John 17, verse 17, says, 
Your word, God, your word is truth. So how can, how can, a, how can a body of Christ deny the words of Jesus if they're not a whole, if they're not into the whole Old Testament thing? How can you then say that Jesus was wrong? We ought to be able to defend the word of God as, as a tactic of our spiritual warfare because it's not completely offensive. It's not me going on the attack all the time. The sword does two things. It attacks and it defends. And I believe that God is asking us now, are we willing to defend the word of God? And I'll even say this, what Paul says in Galatians 1 verse 9, he says, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. And it's harsh. Yes, it's harsh. But it's true. If the word that you hear is contrary and counter to what this is, it is wrong and it's a lie and you need to run from it. And I don't care if the preacher is a globally known preacher with thousands of people in this church. I don't care if he's only got six people in this congregation. If he preaches something that's not the Bible, you need to run, you need to leave, and you need to understand that this is the ultimate in authority. This is the word of God. There's no other gospel. But the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we find it in the Bible. And I feel kind of bad. That I have to put that at the end of it. Because people are going out. And now saying that there's more than one way. I can, I can, I can tell you of, of a celebrity. Who's kind of meshed Islam and Christianity together. Citing that there's more than one way. Jesus isn't the only way. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no man comes to the Father except by me. That's what Jesus says. I'm going to hold on to the word of God. I'm going to hold on to the word of the Lord. What Jesus spoke from Genesis to Revelation. Because it's the truth. There's no other means of salvation but faith in Jesus Christ. How are we saved? By grace through faith in Jesus. That's our salvation. That's how we know we're getting to heaven. Furthermore, there's no salvation in any other name but the name of Jesus. He says in his word, I don't share my glory with someone else. I share my glory with no other. So I'm not going to say that God is equal to another false deity in, in, in any other world religion. And I'm not going to say Jesus is one of many ways. I'm going to say that God alone is one. The Lord our God is one as he promises us in Deuteronomy. And I'm going to say that Jesus Christ is the only way to get to heaven. You can't buy your way in. You can't half-heartedly believe your way in. You can't live a life on Sunday that's a contrary to your life on Wednesday, or Monday through Saturday and still get in. I believe that God wants us to stand firm in His Word and hold on to the promises of the Word of God because it's true. The Word is true. The Bible is true. You know, also, we, we were admonished in the Old Testament, again, looking in Deuteronomy, 
chapter 4 this time, to defend the word of God against people who would seek to omit things from it or add things to it for the sake of furthering their own theological agendas. It says in Deuteronomy 4, You shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it. That's the word of God. That's what Deuteronomy says. Oh, but if, if, we're, if we're not completely sold that the Old Testament's still relevant, Revelation 22 says, I warn anyone who hears the words of this prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. I don't want to be one of those preachers that people say, say, oh, well, he takes things out and puts things in when it's suitable for him. No, this is the word of God. And if there's something I disagree with in it, I have to look at myself and I can't afford to try to change this to fit my, my, my theology or my belief system. I have to assume that when I disagree with the Bible that I'm wrong. I have to assume that whenever I'm seeing something in the Bible that steps on my toes that I have a problem. <laughs> I have to... Be humble and mature in the Lord enough to say, God, I don't understand this and I may not just may not agree with it, but that's something that I need you to work with me on because you're true and you're and I'm not. <laughs> I, you're, you're like, like I said earlier, let God be true and every man a liar. And if I have to submit myself to the wilderness again, and if I have to humble myself so that he can put me through the fire and cleanse me and purify me so I can come out like shining gold, then I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it if I find a thing in here that I don't agree with. Because it's not that this is wrong, it's that I have a skewed idea of what the word of the Lord is. There's... Uh, why am I bringing it? There's a, there's, a, there's a version of the Bible. I'm going to use air quotes because I don't... It's called the Queen James Version. It's... it's they've, 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 they've messed with the word of the Lord so that they might not offend people. What does Jesus say about it? What did he come to do? Does he not say that he came to bring a sword? The sword meaning the word of God, which again we know is alive and sharp and powerful and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. And then it goes to things that are in me that aren't supposed to be there and it cuts it out. This is the word of God and it's true and it's infallible and it's inerrant. And if there's anything that I disagree with in it, the problem is me and not the word of God. So we have an assignment this morning from the Lord to defend the Word of God. We need to, we need to understand that as exciting as it is to rush headlong into battle and just take the fight to the enemy, and you know, that's sometimes it's good to just rest. Sometimes it's good to just rest in the Lord in prayer and worship and cultivating our intimacy with the Father. Uh, one of my favorite stories in Scripture, and I've preached on it before, is when Martha and Mary have Jesus in their house. And Martha is serving and Mary is sitting at his feet, gleaning from his wisdom. I want to be married. Um, and I know sometimes that we give Martha a bad rap too, but there's a time and place to be Martha. 
and there's a time and place to be married. But sometimes, whenever we're resting from our warfare, we're still warring, but we're sitting at the feet of Jesus, cultivating our intimacy with Him. I, I think that we're we're getting to a place now where we need to re we need to get back to our roots of prayer in the church. We have we have a lot of people who are doing things for the Lord, but I'm convinced that God didn't send them out to do those things. I'm convinced that we have a lot of failed spiritual war battles going on right now because people aren't getting their marching orders from God. I'm convinced that we need to return to a place of prayer. Joseph, if you want to come up and play softly for me. We need to pray more. We need to pray more. That's our conversation time with the Lord. You know, Paul says pray without ceasing. And that doesn't mean that like, I'm on my knees 24 hours a day. But it means that in my mind, I'm having constant conversation with the Lord. And I'm thinking on those things. And I'm thinking on the good things and the pure and holy things that, that Paul writes about. Philippians 4. You know, you know we're, we, we, we need to war with our worship because our praise is a weapon. You know, Psalms 149, I read it earlier, it says it. It's a two-edged sword in our hands. The most effective form of worship that I can think of is whenever I take this and I just, I just and it sounds funny sometimes, but I just sing Psalms or I'll sing Isaiah or I'll sing something to the Lord because there's, there's almost nothing more potent in the Spirit than you telling the words of God back to Him. You know, and I, think, and I think we're at a place now where the Lord is saying, okay, these people are tired, but I'm going to see. I'm with them. I'm with them. I'm fighting their battles for them, but I'm going to see if they're going to hold on to the Word of God. When everybody else deserts us, when everybody else leaves us alone, are we going to be the kind of people that hold fast and hold firm to the Word of God? You know, thirdly, I want to ask, are we going to be the kind of people that will defend the Word of God in a society that thinks that Jesus isn't cool? <laughs> Are we going to be the kind of people that will stand up in the face of these, these people and say, no, this is what the Word of the Lord says. This is what the Word of the Lord is. This is how the Word of God changed my heart. So, to close, we're not ignorant of Satan's devices. And because we're not ignorant of Satan's devices, we're engaged in spiritual warfare that goes beyond even these things that we've talked about today. That transcends these, these few points that I've made over the last few minutes. That it is life and death. This war that we're in is life and death. And honestly, I want to get more people on our team. I want to get as many people on our team as I can. I don't want to see the enemy have any sort of last laugh or anything. I want to get people on the winning side. We need to remember that even though sometimes we may not see, it may not seem like we're in a spiritual in a spiritual fight, we are all soldiers in the army of God. And we need to remember the words of Paul to Timothy when he says, "No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits." 
since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. I want to do nothing more than please God. I want to do nothing more than obey his voice because obedience is greater than sacrifice. I want to do nothing more than those things that he's telling me to do. And if if there's any flesh that gets in the way of him telling me what I need to do, then I need to be able to pray like David did and say, Lord, search me and know me. If there's any grievous way in me, then let's deal with it. Let's burn it away. Let's cast it off. Let's cut it down. It's going to hurt. But I can't go into battle looking like the people I'm trying to fight, the principalities I'm trying to fight, the powers I'm trying to fight, these spiritual wickedness in high places that I'm trying to fight. I don't want to look like them. I want to look like Jesus. So now I'm going to ask a couple of questions. Just stand with me this this morning. Where are are the mighty men? Where are the mighty women? Because Scripture has people like Deborah who led the Israelites in battle. We have women like Jael who killed us a general that was on the enemy's side. We have people like Esther. We have people like Ruth. So where are the mighty men? Where are the warrior women? Where are the consecrated ones? Where are the Nazarites of God who will fight the good fight? Not against flesh and blood, but against the principalities and powers, the rulers of darkness and against the spiritual wickedness in high places. Where are they? I believe that now is the time to stand firm and fight. Not the time to run and hide. So I'm going to pray. If you want to come to these altars and seek the face of God, feel free to do so. If you you have a need that you want us to pray with you about, just come and we can pray with you because the prayer of the righteous man availeth much. It's the the prayer of faith that's, that's effective. But if you want to come to these altars and get your marching orders from the Lord, we can do that too. Lord God, I bless your name this morning and I thank you for your word that's true and I thank you for your goodness, Lord, that transcends every attack of the enemy, Lord. I thank you, Father God, that you're faithful and just to complete the work that you've started in us, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that whenever we go into the field of battle, we are not alone, but it's you who goes before us like you went before the children of Israel in fire and in cloud in the wilderness, Lord. God, I thank you so much for your mercy and your grace, Lord Jesus. I thank you that you are a man of war, that you are victorious in every battle that you fight. And Lord God, I thank you so much, Lord, that the victory is ours because the battle is yours. Oh God, make our hearts tender to your goodness, Lord, to your word, Father. Search us and know us now, Lord God. And Lord Jesus, I ask that you pour your spirit down upon us now in this place. Speak to our hearts, Father, in Jesus' holy name. Raise your people up now to 
rest when we need to rest, to be steadfast and faithful, and to defend the word and promises of God. Oh, Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord Jesus. We praise you, Father God. In Jesus' name. Lord, now as we, we, we meditate on your goodness for a few moments now, we turn our eyes to you, Jesus, and we exalt you above every distraction or any, any 